Welcome to Intimacy Choreography in Conversation, where Anne James and Carly D. Weckstein talk candidly about the growing world of intimacy choreography and shifting performance art spaces toward a culture of consent. Intimacy choreography is the craft of designing moments of staged intimacy or sexual violence with respect, clarity, and professionalism. Intimacy choreographers respect the boundaries, integrity, and needs of the actors involved so that the best work can happen enthusiastically. This podcast was inspired by our conversation around intimacy direction in the time of COVID-19 as a part of the Director's Lab West Connects that was streamed on HowlRound in May 2020. There were multiple pages of questions remaining after that initial conversation, so we decided that instead of writing out the answers to every question in a pamphlet, we would start a podcast to have engaging discussions on various themes that come up around intimacy choreography. All these questions came from real theater artists like you around the world. We acknowledge the Tongva peoples as the traditional caretakers of the land we currently reside on and are recording this podcast on, that is, the Los Angeles Basin and the South Channel Islands. We seek to honor the land and the courageous people who are its past, present, and future stewards, modeling a tradition of resistance seeking liberation. All righty then. Shall we begin? Now, who are we? Let's introduce each other. All righty. <laughs> Anne James is an international theater educator working towards more inclusion and diversity in the intimacy field. Anne will begin an MFA in performance pedagogy in intimacy direction for people of color at Loyola Marymount University in fall 2020. She believes in a healthy discourse on the growing field of intimacy and encourages qualification over certification. Carly D. Weckstein is a theater director, sex educator, and intimacy director, creating at the intersections of community, healing, sexuality, and art as activation. She is a passionate advocate for artists and actors, championing communication, consent, and mental health as essential to the creative process. Okay, let's talk about the future of intimacy choreography. Does that sound good? That sounds that sounds great. Awesome. Uh, that could be so many things. <laughs> it really um, can. It really can be so many things. I mean, I I'm not here to look into a crystal ball or shake a, you know, an eight ball. <laughs> All signs point to yes. So should we just dive right in? Let's dive right in to the future. <laughs> I love that. Okay, question. <laughs> question. Do you think for the period following this pandemic, directors and artists should look at producing pieces that do not contain a lot of physical intimacy? Interesting question. And I feel like that's one that I've I've heard a few times. And my kind of immediate gut reaction is... No, no, we don't need to avoid telling stories about intimacy. I think it will still be important to tell stories that that have intimacy in them. We just have to be flexible about how we tell them. What do you think, Anne? Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And I also think that during this 
really monumental time in our health relationship to one another and to our boundaries relationship to one another in relation to uh, racial trauma and racial issues in this country, that those stories are going to be written. And in order for us to prepare for those stories to be written, we have to think about intimacy as being an integral part of those stories. And I'm not here to censor any playwright or any screenplay writer to move intimacy out of their sphere of writing and creativity. So I think what the industry has to do is prepare to absorb and then reflect creatively ways to be physically intimate that are safe. Absolutely. I think I realize I say that on the podcast all the time after you say something brilliant. I'm always just like, absolutely. <laughs> because absolutely. You know what um, they call that in the black world? They call that the amen corner. So you are the amen corner for me and I'm the amen corner for you. You know? I love it. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Uh, But that's, yeah, I I think that that we don't have to fear telling stories about intimacy. I think, as you said, where we are in the world right now, I think those stories are naturally going to come out of storytellers. And I think it's really important to keep telling them. And it's actually this really beautiful opportunity where because of all of the charge and trauma that folks are carrying in their bodies around these dual pandemics of virus and racism, that it's giving us an opportunity to invite us in, everybody in, to just be more mindful about touch and consent and safety as we tell those stories, which is a great thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And producers, um, I think it's really important that you listening out there, obviously you're advanced because you're listening to our podcast. But other than that, you have to be brave and include protections for your actors and for your directors, quite frankly, in utilizing what we bring to the table as intimacy specialists, as intimacy choreographers. Don't be afraid to bring us into even the selection process, maybe something. Um, you want to know or clarify in the script before you even get into production. Call us in as early as you feel that you need us. Trust your intuition because we probably need to be in the room. And those of us who are on the forefront of the future of intimacy will certainly answer the call. Yeah, I I love that point about bring intimacy folks in early. If you are going to produce or preparing to produce or tell a story that has physical intimacy in it and you're, you know, and when we can be in theater spaces together again, which mm. we can't predict when that is. Um, but everything is going to be different and a little bit more charged and heightened. And um, as I believe we've mentioned in previous episodes, folks will have different boundaries. So I think that it, that's a great idea and a great point to if you're considering that story and you're not sure, maybe bring in an intimacy person to talk with the producer, the director, the artistic director and say, can we do this safely? How might we be able to handle this um, with some creativity and flexibility? <laughs> I can't agree more. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, 
Do we have another question? Question. Go for it. Does intimacy have to be physical? And what could it look like to explore this in theater, this question of does it need to be physical? And I think the kind of culmination of this is, is physically distant theater or performance possible? What say you, Anne? I say yes. I think uh, as we move through this moment we're in, that we can explore the idea of intimacy being physically distant. I know that, you know, the topic of this whole conversation is, is intimacy in the future. So if we dig down deep into that and we think about what intimacy actually is, I think we can argue that intimacy is physical and it's much more than physical. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. We're exploring these ideas of, yeah, I know my company, Intimacy Coordinators and Directors of Color, uh, is investigating how we can incorporate more things than physical intimacy. Sometimes it's a look, sometimes it's a feeling, it's a belief system. Um, I think that as directors, it's okay to incorporate other ideas other than physical, but also not be afraid to use it once we get back in the spaces together. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question of, is intimacy just physical? And just beyond intimacy choreography, if we're just thinking of the concept of human intimacy in general, then I think it's, of course, it's more than just physical. There could be, you know, energetic intimacy, mm-hmm. emotional, intellectual, spiritual, I don't know, like any anything that you can think of. And I think sometimes in theater and film, we tell stories with that kind of intimacy. And so I really believe that um, a lot of the practices that we use in intimacy choreography can be used and translated and really beneficial to other kinds of heightened scenes, even if it's not physically intimate, it might be an energetically intimate scene or even just an energetically charged or intense scene. Uh, and I think using these a lot of these same practices really benefits um, everybody who's working on that. I agree. And, you know, as we get back into these spaces, you as a director, you as a as a producer, have to realize that actors may not be ready to touch one another. Uh, They might not be ready to extend themselves physically. So I think it's up to intimacy directors, intimacy choreographers to come up with agreements with the actors on how they want to engage in physical action or in intimacy. Um, I always love a good conversation at the beginning of any process anyway, to kind of talk about, you know, like back in our first episode about consent and boundaries and what that means. Um, I think it's always healthy to have that conversation. And I think they're going to be more necessary as we move from what we're learning now with COVID-19 and how people interact with one another and their boundaries. We're going to have all that in our basket to move us into the future. Oh, yeah. And when when we are back 
on our stages and there's folks in the audience watching a story, just watching like two people touch hands on stage is going to be heightened in a way that it never was before because of this context, because we we don't tell stories in, in a vacuum. So I think that's just another piece of any physical intimacy that there will be, will be more heightened and powerful and have these like new layers of meaning for even the audience who is who is watching it like the story will be transformed i don't want to say skewed but like shifted kind of through the lens of of the time we are living in and will have just lived through when we were back in the spaces yeah you talking about that just sparked this this visual in me of that first time that we were gathered together back in the same room uh theatrically and we are even watching on a screen where the storyline is taking place during this time and we actually see people holding hands or people touching palm to palm as palmers do kiss. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of revolutionary. It will be revolutionary for people to be touching again in a performance format. So it's exciting times, and I I don't want to rush to getting to that point. Yeah. But I do think that it will be revolutionary to see people touching on stage and on screen through the lens of this time now. So that really excites me. Um, And obviously, precautions will develop in order to make that safe. But... Until we're there, yes, I think we can demonstrate intimacy without having physical contact. Yeah, totally. Like actors can be physical with themselves. Like there's a lot of intimacy, um, not just around masturbation, but maybe in telling a love scene from across the room. Or as we talked about last week in in the Zoom room, Mm -hmm. where there is like self-touching and exploring your own body is part of a storytelling of physical intimacy. So I think there's a lot of ways ways to do it and a lot of ways to slowly ease back into it and not and not rush um actors being physically close again and still do justice to stories with intimate moments that we want to tell. Agreed. Love that. Cool. Um cool. what do you do think? We have another Yeah. Do we have another question? Question. Ding dong. How do you think practicing proper intimacy techniques during rehearsals elevates a company as a whole? Ah. Whoa. Uh, amazing question. Yeah. And all about the elevation. Yes. I think it, it really does elevate everyone as a whole because it kind of elevates the level of prioritizing mental health and safety and respect throughout the process. Like it just makes that a priority. Um, I think and that's, I, I believe, directly connected to actors having sustainable careers. I know a lot of folks, when I was uh, in, in acting school, a lot of amazing actors from that time from my, uh, in my life who no longer are actors because of the mental health burnout based on how actors are kind of taught to deprioritize that. And everybody in theater is taught to in uh, performance to deprioritize that. So I think it's it really will help the sustainability of people being able to have kind of a lifetime 
career of making this art and being storytellers. And I really believe that when actors feel safer and more respected and like they can do work that's in line with their integrity, they can get to deeper, richer work and better performances and better connections to the other folks they're performing with in the audience, which is kind of the the heart of what it's all about. Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, this whole concept of walking away, like you said, uh, as a whole person, walking away and having a, a career that is sustainable and not having mental burnout because you're you're unhealthily, quote unquote, leaving it all on the stage. Um, that I think that term itself, leave it all out on the stage, can be slightly damaging to people who are working through charged material. And I would love to take that out of the lexicon of what it means to be a good working actor. Um, I think we have to make sure that we leave performances with all of us, uh, all of ourselves intact. I, I think what, a, what an intimacy director in the room does, at least my vision in the future for people um, who are working in this world is that the overall energy of the rehearsal process into production will be more wel- welcoming to mental health and sustainability. Uh, and the more that we accept different identities and different walks of life, different abilities in our fields, the better the rehearsal process will be. You know, I've always said that if a, if um, a person of color or uh, an intersectional being or a person who is differently able takes on the mantle of intimacy direction, that when we walk into that room, the calibration of power dynamic has already shifted into a more human, open, accepting space simply because we're standing in the room. And we're standing there proudly with all of our intersectionality, all of our identity, and all of our abilities uh, to make space for actors to do their best work. And, you know, being enthusiastic about the collaboration always uh, helps to bring uh, a heightened awareness into the room. Being enthusiastic is so important in this work. Uh, being enthusiastic into the room, being enthusiastic throughout that rehearsal process uh, because we feel safe and we feel heard and our boundaries are intact. Um, yes. Am I waxing on a little bit? Sorry. I'm just a little, you know, passionate about us all remaining whole and enthusiastic yes. through the whole process, through the production and out into the world for our next opportunity. Wax, wax all about that. It's, it's beautiful. It's important. Burn a whole candle of it, of that yeah. wax. Love that. Love <laughs> I, I love that. And I love this idea of, yeah, like that artists and storytellers need to be whole beings and we need to release and kind of leave behind some of the antiquated practices that don't align with that anymore now that we know better. Um, I really believe that that creating art, especially creating art, in community, um, like theater and most kinds of performing arts uh, are 
involved with should be sacred and that it can be both sacred and professional. And I really think that practicing intimacy techniques during rehearsal helps that be a reality for everyone. And there's something interesting in the question, just the wording of proper intimacy techniques, I guess. My question is like, what what does that mean? Because Mm. I think every situation does call for a different version of the techniques, depending on so many factors. Um, The story you're telling, the context you're telling it in, like, is this a university? Is this a professional uh, theater production or film set, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And all of the actors and artists in their background. So how all of that intersects kind of depends on which intimacy techniques are called for or needed. So I don't think there's just one kind of cut and dry, quote unquote, proper technique to always use. But I think that there are definitely some kind of key standards that that can be called upon, pulled out of your toolbox um, to use for many situations and just to be like we've said with everything to be kind of flexible and present uh with full emotional intelligence to kind of navigate what techniques are needed absolutely i love that you know that word proper it just smacks of privilege you know um yes i was having a i mean i'm going off a little bit here we go into a tangent and yes uh and tangent and tangent uh it's tangential um to tangent (laughs) (laughs) thank you that is the right portmanteau thank you um but i was speaking to to um another uh theater director yesterday and we were talking about that whole idea of ritual in the rehearsal space and how we can make it non-Western centered when we're talking about opening rehearsal for the night or day. Mm. Or we're talking about closure of rehearsal. Let's find different ways to create that sacred opening and closure in a space that aren't so Western centered. I thought that was just a brilliant way to bring in um, a diverse modality for even the very foundations of what rehearsal looks like, you know, the opening and the closing process. I just thought that was fascinating. So tangent over. Let's think about that later. Um, But yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what do you think? Are we ready for a next question? Ding, ding. Next question. <laughs> um, all right. Let me ask you a question. Right. So this one, this one is a kind of multifaceted. So here we go. Okay. As we prepare to restart and rebuild a healthy theater community, what role might intimacy directors play on an institutional, not just in rehearsal spaces, level in terms of helping theaters and companies address sexual harassment and abuse and ensure a safe environment and protection for all? Woo! I love this question. I really, really do. Because when we're talking about institutional acceptance of intimacy work, we're 
I'm looking at it from the traditional Eurocentric structure of leadership, where there's a person on top and then two people under them and then four people under them, you know, in this kind of pyramid scope of leadership versus uh, coming from the top as opposed to leadership coming from uh, creating a strong foundation. Yeah. So the top level people in an organization. Um, hi, hello out there. It would behoove you to think about having a consultation or uh, a meeting or even a small group workshop with your top team and advisors to actually understand what intimacy work is and how powerful it can be uh, as it moves through an organizational structure. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about the different areas where that can be demonstrated, not just on the stage and in rehearsal, but when we're talking about a revolution of what theater is, and I and I know that. Black, Indigenous, and people of color have kind of put predominantly white institutions of theater on call and on on alert to say, look, the way we've been doing it ain't going to work. So why don't we, as intimacy professionals, take this opportunity to move into the leadership and kind of infuse respect, consent, and boundaries throughout the whole organization or institution. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I I love this of, yeah, the, the top level folks in leadership should have an understanding, as you said, of, of what intimacy folks do, how they can benefit them. And I also really believe that theatrical institutions, whether they're educational, professional, or other, should bring in some intimacy folks for even just like a foundational consent and boundary training for the entire company or mm. for the leadership. Because I I think this can raise the level of expectation for working with respect and integrity just across the board. And I think it's a, a call and a challenge for leaders in these spaces, institutional leaders, to really practice what they preach, like all the way up the chain. So it's not just like, okay, now actors are going to be held to this standard um, for intimacy protocols around consent and boundaries and respect. That That's not going to work if the artistic director and the casting director and everybody else is not on that same page and not being held to that same standard. Yeah. Even, I mean, okay, let's break down a theater. Let's break down an institution. We're, right. breaking, we're breaking down the institution down. And, and talking and talk about the the different uh, areas of a, a theater institution and talk about uh, intimacy in relation to bringing these different segments of an organization on board with consent and boundaries, intimacy, not only internally, but how the organization looks from the outside looking in. Okay. So for instance, the first place a person uh, interfaces with in an organization 
uh, in a theater is probably the box office, probably the box office and front of house. So how could intimacy involvement and knowledge about uh, intimacy affect an audience member's entrance into the space? I mean, just off the top of my head, kind of thinking, having those folks who work in box office, front of house, ushers, be practicing a ask before you touch rule. I mean, that sounds pretty basic, but just so that, you know, and also of not assuming anyone's gender or any part of their identity and how they address them. So maybe having some gender neutral language like welcome folks instead of ladies and gentlemen, which can be exclusive of folks who don't identify as a lady or a gentleman. That's brilliant. Yes. Welcome, friends and enemies alike. (laughs) (laughs) It's all gender neutral. Exactly. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And even the talkbacks, you know, after the show, we want to introduce or allow the actors or the participants in that talkback to introduce themselves and their pronouns. Uh, That's just a gentle way to let your audience know, hey, we're talking about respecting identity here. And uh, just that kind of level of teaching that isn't a lecture or PowerPoint or, you know, any kind of forceful training, but just to let that move out into your audience as understanding and as a way to say, hey, we're paying attention to those things. We are sensitive to um, getting gender right. Yeah. And it's just, I love what you said. Like, it doesn't have to be this lecture. It doesn't have to derail the talk back. It can just be cool. We're going to have the actors who are talking back. Just go down the lines, say their name and pronoun. Again, as we talked about uh, last week in episode two, normalizing this. And then this reduces the harm and the possibility for an audience to member in the talk back to misgender one of the actors. Yes. Yes. Um, even in the marketing, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying how they were in a show, they're African-American woman, and she was in a show in a PWI, which means predominantly white institution, um, early in her career. And it was the typical Black History Month play because we know that historically Uh, larger theaters in the regions and also on Broadway. When it's February, they clock in the Black folks and they do a show based on the African-American experience. Um, I wish to abolish that with a big old stick of dynamite, Um, but we can talk about that in another episode. Uh, But she said that when they took the promotional photos of that show, they continued to use the photo of the black folks in concurrent marketing strategies as if that Mm. show was in the current season, of course, which of which it was not. So it's this tokenizing of people of color, tokenizing of black people, tokenizing of indigenous folk, um, that goes on in these PWIs that isn't exactly consensual and it's not right. And I don't necessarily think that it is a fair representation of what their current season might unfold to be. 
So in the marketing, yeah, in the marketing, you have, we have to use that consent and boundaries and think about what we're doing to someone when we tokenize them. Right. It's like having a predominantly white institution profit off of the image of black and brown bodies without actually doing kind of year round work to support those artists. Right. And, and that's, that's bullshit. We don't need that anymore. No. Um, I was, I was hearing from some black theater folks in LA about the same idea of it's like, don't, don't try to like spotlight or brag about like, we are diverse. You don't need to say it if your actions just show it, like just actually have a diverse season beyond one August Wilson play in Black History Month, yeah. uh, you know, like mm-hmm. then you don't need to say, "See, look, look how diverse we are. We're doing a good job. We're getting, we're getting the check mark." Um, don't, don't talk about it or show about it. Just be about it. Yeah, and you know, there's this idea of uh, intimacy being also. How about inviting more? diverse audiences into your seats. You know, why are the tickets so high and inaccessible? Uh, why are people not allowed to respond back to the actors on stage? There are all these very interesting questions. I know that uh, Dominique Morisot, uh in her play, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that. We'll have to look that up. But in the program, she absolutely said, Well, it started off that she was responding to things that were happening on stage in a production and this uh, older white lady in the seat beside her told her to be quiet and that she was being disruptive. And didn't she know that theater was supposed to be respectful and quiet? So Dominique, the queen that she is, and everybody look up Dominique Morrison's work. Producer here. It's yeah. uh, it's her rules of engagement, and she. I just looked it up. It was during Skeleton Crew. Mm. She put it in the the program for Skeleton Crew. So she kind of broke down that uh, very Eurocentric understanding that we're to be quiet in the audience and uh, unaffected verbally by vocally by what is happening on the stage and that the actors don't need that interchange other than applause at the end. Do you want me to uh, read the rules or do you want me to yeah. put them in? The I just pulled the, I just pulled them up. Yeah. Okay. Read them. Read them too. Okay. Oh. This is, this is, yeah. Amazing. Okay. Here we go. Yay. This is the uh, playwrights rules of engagements. You were allowed to laugh audibly you're allowed to have audible moments of reaction and response. And then she says, my work requires a few mm-hmm's and uh-uh's. <laughs> and you should, you need to use them. Just maybe in moderation, only when you really need to vocalize. And this, this line really gets me. This can be church for some of us and testifying is allowed. Like the, the, the theater is a spiritual place and we can have a voice in it even as the audience. I love that. Uh, She goes on to say, uh, this is also live theater and the actors need you to engage with them and not distract them or thwart their performance. Yes. It's like Amen Corner. 
It's just yes. exactly what I was saying. That yes, that call and response that is so visceral and so cathartic for the audience. And we all know that theater started all of this film. Film is theater just flat. You know, that's what I think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm a theater bug, but yeah, me too. Uh, uh, you know, this uh, historical the, the origins of theater came from ritual and sacredness. So yes, and you know, group it, catharsis. Yeah, group catharsis. Look it up. Uh, yeah, we need that. We need it, and it's a part of us as as humans and. I think Dominique Morso is the shizzle. Uh, that's yes. all I got to say about it's it. Brilliant. There's actually one more piece, which is oh. like it exactly what you just said. Oh god. Uh, it, and it reads: Please be an audience member that joins with others and allows a bit of breathing room. Exhale together. Laugh together. Say amen should you need to. This Ooh. is community. Let's go. Pop pop pop. Let's make that the future. We don't have to stay. Okay, okay. I'm getting a little loud and passionate, but what oh, I'm saying great. is, as for the future of theater and how we understand the relationship between audience and actor to be, we need to move away from this privileged, proper kind of paradigm. It just doesn't work and it's exclusionary and it speaks uh, into the power dynamic of having money versus not it speaks into all those things so let's just bust it down let's for the future when we come back to the theater let's make it okay to respond however we want without running through this running through the aisles and being disruptive but in our own seats we need to have that collective you know elbow to elbow feeling that it's okay for us to respond. Yeah. Amen. Hopefully. To breathe. To make <laughs> Amen. Yeah. See? Uh, how how I, funny. I didn't even know we're going to go there and we're talking about <laughs> the main corner again. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Um, I, yeah. Yes. Yes to all that. And I, I, this is more, ta- more tangents, <laughs> but it's right. just really makes me think about yeah, accessibility around theater and in terms of like theaters getting stuck in this loop where they're producing stories to please their patrons who are often older, rich, white folks. Um, And then they kind of get stuck in a loop of like, oh, well, we can't do X, Y, Z because the people who fund us, you know, won't won't roll with that. And I don't know, like, how can you put put on even if you can put on a really radical play how can you say this is radical and revolutionary if it's only accessible for folks with a lot of money to witness and be a part of the story ritual yeah and i i just think there's a there's a lot of dismantling of many of the systems in in theater in american theater that oh my god yeah we could talk about the board you know we could talk about the executive board we could talk about the advisory board what do they look like I mean, can I see some photos, please? Okay. Oh, if I see the photos of your board, I know exactly what you're protecting and what you're about in your theater organization. Uh, Fundraising. Where does your money go? Do you cart people of color out into the fundraisers and have them dance and sing and then leave and not actually interact with the people who are paying uh, to 
support the theater. Like you say, oh, uh, and here's eight misbehaving, yatra, and then, you know, black people are kind of carted out or Asian people are carted or people, whoever's carted out to be the entertainment for the night. And then they're whisked away to eat sandwiches in the kitchen. Like that is not having an intimate relationship between actor and person who supports actor. No, not at all. Yeah, and not at all. So I mean, and and I think some folks might think like, how does this connect to to intimacy? Um, it's all processes, intimacy. but it is exactly. It's you just you just said they're not. Why are we denying actors and funders and community to all have an intimate relationship together? And and I think it just when it comes down to yeah, like the these key principles of like respect and integrity and authenticity in looking at in the systems of theater who benefits from different actions that exclude different people. I I, I think it's all intertwined. You can't you can't untangle it. Um, and say that's not really a part of this work. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so one more piece of intimacy intersecting with theaters on an institutional level that I would love to talk, think, ponder about is in auditions and casting. I think that's mm-hmm. a very, there's a very direct connection there. Um, and that is often as we talked about how kind of box office in front of house is the first place where audience members interface with the theater, uh, auditions and casting is the first place where actors will interface with a theater. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm interested about how, how intimacy can elevate and rebuild the auditioning process in a healthier way. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that, look, I started my career out of college. I moved to New York because I got cast in something and, you know, that put me in New York and this whole idea of cattle call, uh, you know, it's not palatable anymore. So like the lexicon of the audition process is, could, could use a little tweak now that we're not bovine creatures uh we don't need to have a cattle call we could have a group call or a a wide call open call whatever it is anyway yeah um but you know i think we talked a little bit about consent and boundaries uh on an episode before this and how the person is greeted by the stage manager or the person in control of the audition process. I know it's fast and I know I'm dreamy and I know I am, you know, uh, maybe asking too much, but that consent agreement, when the person signs up and signs in, you know, there should be an agreement. If there is a content that could be charged, we need to outline that in the signup sheet. So that people know when they go in that this is what the play uh, is going to be asking, not only of them uh, in particular or uh, specifically, but also what the play is about. And and so that people have full knowledge and they give uh, full disclosure to what the play is about. Um, also, gendering people properly can't save that enough. Um, there should be that 
line, you know, what are your pronouns in the audition sheet. So that actors auditioning for your performances understand in a very organic way that you respect their identity. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I love that. And I love what you were saying about you know, even having a content warning, especially if the script was not available before the audition or the sides mm-hmm. were not available. Like, I really believe, as someone who's been on both sides of audition table uh, and prefers to be a director <laughs> than an actor, mm-hmm. um, I really believe that the folks who are seeing actors come in and audition for them want everybody to do their best work like I would so much rather have the decision in casting be like wow you have so many good options and I think just something simple like a content warning that you're like you know there is this play or the scene or the side centers on sexual violence like it mm-hmm. I think that can let an actor know what they're getting into um and allow them to do better work I also, another thought about auditioning and intimacy and consent, and this is something that I've had uh, many questions about before, is like, what if you want to do like a love scene or a scene where there's a kiss for a callback, especially when you're trying to pair like the romantic leads, when you're trying to cast that and like, what is, what is the line? Like, do we, can we ask actors to do that? Um, Do we not? And I think they're just, I think it, behooves everyone if there's kind of clear communication um my personal preference would be you know to have the stage manager or part of uh or whoever's communicating directly with the actors have a specific kind of written protocol like for the moment of the kiss i don't want you to touch in this callback um but i would like you to like breathe and be physically present in the moment and commit to it just as strongly that is an option and that's giving a clear direction for actors to succeed without having to individually navigate each pair of people and what their specific boundaries are or if you're if you're an actor and you're listening to this this can empower you to you know if you're in a callback and there's a scene with a kiss just take a moment to talk to your scene partner and be like hey i just want to check in what are your boundaries how do you feel about that um can are we do we both feel comfortable and confident going forward with doing this scene with a kiss on the lips on the cheek do we want to mark the moment um just so there's not uh, a a violation of boundaries in a callback and in an audition space right and i think also obviously the precautions of you know, if there has to be a glove or if there has to be PPE or if there has to be, you know, all of those things that are the responsibility of the organization having the auditions, obviously all of that has to be in place for the comfort level of the actors, especially if you're act asking them to just come off the street and do this, this callback, you know, right. they, with a stranger. Have, right. We just have to have these uh, things prepared uh in order to move safely through those um uh final auditions so that you can see chemistry but yes we also have to be very aware and protective of the actors right and i really believe you can see chemistry between actors without them physically touching sometimes (laughs) even more without it's their energy it's their words it's their eye contact and I think that, you know, any actor who can practice 
being present and vulnerable with someone can find a path into having chemistry with somebody. Um, and I also think that for actors, especially if they're working with a new company, if they come in and there are like very clear guidelines and communication about like touching and boundaries and I think for me as an actor, that would make me be like, oh, this company or this director or the whatever cares about my safety yes. and well-being. And that makes me want to be a part of this project. Right. Even more. I love that because the the organizations and, and the companies around the globe that can show actors that they actually care will have those actors share that information with more actors. They'll have a, a deeper pool to, to select from. And they will also put out into the world that they actually care about actors um, yes. on, a, on a deep and intimate level. How about that? <laughs> it just goes such a long way in an industry where I think actors are really often treated as very disposable. Like there's a million of you. I can just get another Ugh. to take it, which I hate. To, to I'm a director who loves actors so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> personally. Mm-hmm. They're incredible, and we're asking them to do some incredible things. So it just it goes such a long way to, rather than say, saying the words, again, this is like, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. Don't just be like, we respect actors here. Show it by having a place on your audition forms for pronouns and for yeah. You're not choosing a callback side with a kiss or saying, this is how we're going to handle it for everyone's safety up front. Yes. And that's not too difficult to do. Call us in. We'll teach you how to do it. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. We you want know? everyone to know how to do this. Right. We're not just there for that one afternoon to choreograph the kiss. We should be available to you throughout the whole process, um, especially when we get started again, because I think everybody's going to be floundering, even artistic directors who are selecting seasons. You know, what is your season about? Why are you picking this particular group of plays to be together? What are the intimate moments or what are the the crossroads of intimacy happening? What does the intersectionality look like? How can we make that safer, uh, kinder, and more respectful of the actors you're asking to do these things? Um, You know, I'm all about that. I'm all about that consultation when artistic directors are coming back in, um, especially in PWIs, you know, so they can get it right. Yes. Um, I'm so interested in what the shaping of a season would look like with an intimacy consultant present, you know, not making the decisions for the artistic director, but having a voice and being able to reflect like things they might not have thought of. I I think that I'm very excited for what that could look like in the future. Me too. <laughs> With this title, the the future of intimacy, we this is just a, a, a audience disclosure. So we got a ton of questions after our Directors Lab West Connects online talk, and then we kind of sorted them into different episode topics. And I know from the this this title, the future of intimacy, 
it could go so many places, but we aren't today talking about like VR theater, which I think is very fascinating and we should talk about it at some point and how intimacy uh, intersects with that. But but just that these were the questions and that we got and these felt like they were more aligned with when we can come back to theater spaces and when and as we're rebuilding them and in in a culture of consent what does that look like? What could that look like? How do we dream and imagine for this future we want to have? So that was just my little side note about the uh, the topic and why we're going in, in this direction with it. Thank you for that. Yep, yep. Um, maybe we should have a convo about technology in the future. Um, but yeah, we're. I think this is um, a great way for us to... Uh, kind of highlight what excites us about the future of intimacy. So, this is what we're going to do, and we're doing it. Yeah. Okay, so we have one more question. Wonderful. Uh, so I guess let's ask it. Question. Question. La, la, la. <laughs> All right, Carly, because intimacy direction is a field created in response to a toxic system, I'm interested in what you two are thinking about how they're creating a new system and what they dream that system looks like. Wow. Wow. Okay, oh, cool. I know. Um, now we're going way out. Yes. Yes. I feel like we started kind of in rehearsal and we're zooming out to institution and then just zooming out to the whole culture of theater. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's kind of funny because that was just my my side note about we're looking at the future as in what do we dream this new culture of theater looks like? Um, mm. I, to me, the dream looks like theater and film and performance and storytelling spaces are prioritized to be safe and sacred, um, and that mm. is that is a kind of just a core tenet of my personal. Uh, belief in function as a director and an intimacy director um, that that is that that is prioritized that that's built into the process and that looks like inclusivity is woven into the structure and is in an afterthought um, and it looks like to me a new mentality on how we train actors where we are releasing these these antiquated modalities of you have to suffer for your character at the cost of your personal health in order to do justice to their story to to release that uh uh to move beyond actors have to be agreeable and have no boundaries to have a career and to move beyond this idea of like labeling people as a diva or difficult when folks speak up about their needs uh to me the dream really looks like actors and all artists are allowed to have agency in the creative process and that that is a part of keeping it both safe and sacred. Ooh, you just said a word. Amen. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we, we have to, when we get back, we have to let actors have a place at the table. And what I mean by that is I see a vision of 
inclusivity and not just inclusivity as a buzzword. Yes. But because everybody's like, oh, we're inclusive, we're diverse. Mm, let's look at your board, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not just a trend. It's a way of operating. Right. It's not just a trend. It needs to be woven into the fabric of the new blanket that you're building for your company. So throw away all the old, <laughs> I'm going to be really irreverent right now, but throw away the old white sheets that you've been using and create a colorful quilt uh, that will be comforting and nurturing and protective of all the people that you want to come and work at your institution. Um, now is the time. It's a time of healing, but it's also a time of recognizing that there have been huge injuries to people leaving themselves out on the stage, quote unquote, show after show. Well, what's left? What's left of that person if they leave all of themselves out on the stage for you um, as an institution? So I think we just have to honor how important boundaries are, how important intimacy is as an organic, um, organic experience within all the levels and, and areas of an institution, not just choreographing that 30-second sex scene. Like, I didn't get into intimacy work to just focus on that. I really believe that intimacy can be holistic and mm. organically inclusive yes. and uh, embracing diversity and embracing intersectionality all the way. It's not that difficult to do. You just have to admit that there's a problem and move forward. Right. And, and I think it's part of the healing process is looking at the wounds and the harm that has been happening. And it doesn't mean if you have done that uh, knowingly or unknowingly that you are never allowed to make art again. It means that now that you see that, you got to do better. Now yeah. that's on you. That's you right. You got to put in the work. That's right. When you know you can do better, you should do better. Yeah. And, and I think I, it's a beautiful thing that we're in this creative hiatus as far as huge productions and just rolling out things and and like bulldozing over people's careers cancel culture uh, you know they're being difficult they're you know too loud they're you know problematic you know all these words need to be you know taken out in the context of actors asking questions about their consent and boundaries. That's not problematic. That is an actor taking care of their instrument and of their mind. Yes. And I think like, you know, even folks in, in the entertainment world who can't buy into it morally or ethically, which why can't you, um, <laughs> you, these processes help actors do better work over a sustainable period. I absolutely believe that. So like, if that's the very least you can get behind, at least you can, that's, that's a way in for folks who might not buy in 
to the um morality honestly mm-hmm. of of this of this work and um i think something we talked about uh, uh last week we went into more is um de-rolling and practicing a kind of ritualized closure at the end of work where you leave your character and come back to yourself i i really believe that having that just kind of be a a standard thing uh and not lionizing extreme method actors Mm. is another piece of of this healing from this toxic system absolutely absolutely well said well said yeah there's so the i think especially as artists are we have an incredible power which is our imagination our creativity and i think those are some of the key tools to revolutionize the world and our industry as well. And and we have those tools. Imagination's incredibly powerful. Imagination is what lets us uh see in our mind how it could be different. Um and y'all are artists. We you you have that. You have that tool. So I think we just have to step away from being scared of but how do we get there practically? We might not have the exact roadmap, but we have we definitely have a few first stops that we can make, and that we should head in that direction courageously, even if we don't have the whole map filled in because sometimes we don't know until until we get there right the first uh what is it the every journey begins with the first step you know a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, so let's just take a step that we we can't fail. If we move forward, you know, understanding, understanding that we all are invested and that we all have a voice and that we all uh, want to be respected for our for our craft. Yes, yes, absolutely. I something that I think I said this in in episode one um, (laughs) when we were talking about consent and boundaries and we were talking about making community agreements at the beginning is just this this trifecta idea of I really believe that anyone who comes into any space and I'm specifically talking about like a rehearsal room wants to know they can expect safety, dignity and belonging. Um, And that's a trio of words that I, I heard in an amazing podcast that's called uh, How to Survive the End of the World that I highly recommend. Um, that's where I first heard those words. And then I kind of, um, I think all artists are magpies. And sometimes we have, uh, you know, we we evolve our language because I've talked for years about we all need a safe and sacred space. And when I heard that trio of words, I'm like, ooh, that's a really tangible way of saying what that looks like. It looks like a space with safety, dignity, and belonging. And so I think the toxic systems that have been in place don't don't guarantee that for everybody. Um, no. So I think that's a really good framework to kind of look at dismantling those. Um, what's in the way of everybody being able to expect that every time they step into a rehearsal room? And what is missing that we need to add so that they can expect that every time that they go to work? Uh, so eloquent. Yep. I'm ready to walk into that. I'm ready to walk bravely and enthusiastically into uh, health and attention 
and leave behind the negativity that has kind of infiltrated our system. I'm ready to do it. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I mean, I think uh, that pretty much closes us out. Um, And now we've got what? To say goodbye, I guess. to say goodbye until next time. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, y'all. And don't forget to have your own amen corner wherever you are. Start flexing those muscles. Respond to people uh, in a non-traditional, non-Eurocentric way. And uh, just think about embracing a new way of thought when it comes to intimacy in your workspace and intimacy in your life and how you uh, interact with other artists because uh, there's only a way up. (laughs) We can only go up from here, folks. To that I say amen. (laughs) (laughs) Next time, we'll be discussing Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color in intimacy. If you, yes, you listening right now, Have any questions about intimacy choreography, direction, consulting, or just the intimacy field in general, please send them to our email, which is the letters ICIC dot Anne and Carly at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the letters ICIC underscore Anne and Carly where we will be posting info about upcoming episodes and other intimacy-related tidbits. And as usual, we'd also like to pop, pop, pop our sound designer, editor, and otherwise extraordinary person, David Gonzalez. And pop, pop, pop to our wonderful producer, Hazel Lozano. Music by David Gonzalez. The podcast logo is by Zach Brown. Papa.